Welcome to the 69th episode of the Hail Mary podcast. I'm A. Tobes, and I'm joined by my husband, the Tobes. We're back to recap our win over Rice. Let's get started. The Roadrunners started out on offense like the weather. Cold and murky. After punting on the first offensive drive, UTSA stalled in the end zone in their second drive, settling for a 26-yard field goal from Chase Allen. After another punt, the Roadrunners seemed poised to score, but instead, an uncharacteristic fumble by Oscar Cardenas led to a turnover in the end zone. Finally, on their fifth offensive drive, Frank Harris connected with Josh Cephas for a touchdown. Fortunately for the Roadrunners, the defense started out strong, only allowing Rice to score one touchdown to give UTSA a 10-7 lead heading into halftime. The second half felt like a different game, as the Roadrunners were dominant on all three phases of the triangle. After the defense forced Rice to go three and out, the offense scored a rushing touchdown from Robert Henry on their first possession. On Rice's next possession, consecutive sacks from Trey Moore led Rice to punt again. Building on that momentum, Chris Carpenter had the most explosive play of the game, returning the punt 50 yards for a touchdown. The Roadrunners would add another touchdown run from Rocco Griffin and a 47-yard field goal from Tate Sandell to seal the victory 34-14 over Rice. UTSA improves to 7-3 overall and 6-0 in conference play. Before we get into the game, let's just say our thoughts go out to Willie McCoy. His injury looked really scary on the field as he was stabilized and taken to the hospital on a backboard. But as of Monday, the reports were positive, and it sounds like he's just being held out now out of practice as a precaution. So looks like things are, you know, moving in the right direction. Maybe his injury wasn't as serious as it seemed at the time. So all really positive things. Absolutely. And I think uh, what's kind of interesting, too, is if you look at the PFF grades, he was the highest, highest grade on offense. And it just felt right. Um, I think, you know, he... In his limited time, he he was he's playing well. So yeah, absolutely. He's not on the depth chart for this um, week, but maybe we'll see him. If not, you know, it sounds like we'll definitely see him in the two lane game. Yeah, we'll need, we'll probably need him there too. So all right, let's talk about this military appreciation game. <laughs> okay. Um, some good and some bad here, and and outside of the actual play on the field. During the tailgate, there was this surprise flyover that we really weren't expecting, and it was kind of a nice touch. Yeah, it was cool. Obviously, it'd be really cool over a non-covered field, but I prefer it this way. Yeah, absolutely. Where we could be dry inside a dome stadium. Sure. And then, you know, we get into the field, and um, they chose to bring the game ball down by repelling from the ceiling. Which they've done before. Yeah, That's not the issue. (laughs) No, the issue was not that they did that. It was their choice of music as they did that. I mean, so the song was Fortunate Son, which it's not a positive military song. It's an anti-war anthem. And it just was an interesting um, choice of music. I'm going to hope that maybe like an intern selected it. I don't know. I think we we just have to realize what the meaning of a song is before we put it out. Right. And it's an old song, so it's not like you could say, oh, this was just released about a month ago. So Yeah, that's why I'm thinking, like, maybe it was an intern, because they're like, oh, I've seen this in a movie before, it sounds cool, like, not knowing 
the history or not having Googled what that song is all about. I, I mean, know. there have been a lot of songs like this that people just still play because they're like, oh, I, just, I just love the message of the song. It's like, but do you really know the message? Born in the, the USA. USA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Woo. All right. You ready to get to the game? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right, well, usually you tell me, hey, what were your thoughts? And usually I tell you, oh, you know, pretty much what I what I saw at the game was exactly what I, I thought I saw. You know, I saw what I saw, right? But not this time. I think, uh, you know, I, I, it was totally different what I saw and when I rewatched. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like UTSA kind of looked a little vulnerable. You kind of talked about, like, they came out, you know, kind of like the weather, cold and murky, yeah, I felt like they just almost came out a little too ener low energy, I guess right. I should say. But, you know, on rewatch, I really felt like they came out more like a babysitter, right? Like, let the kids run around, get all their energy out. The first half, and then the second half, you just put them to sleep. And that's pretty much what they <laughs> what they did to Rice, right? Because you talked yeah. about in your recap that, you know, we kind of sluggish the first half. You know, Rice was, like, really being physical. And then the second half, UTSA just comes out ultra-dominant. Right. Kind of like a babysitter, right? Put them to sleep. Put You're the adult. You tell these kids where they need to go, right? I say this because I thought Rice linebacker Myron Morris, who's a redshirt junior, summarized it just close to that. Maybe not as funny as I'm trying to make it. but Yeah, I don't, I don't call a quote about babysitters, but sure. <laughs> It's gonna it's gonna land. Um, I think our execution in the first half we emphasized the physicality we needed to be successful today, and I thought we had that flow flowing coming out of the first half, knowing we needed to put be the hammers and putting them on their heels early. I think it's just about keeping that going for four quarters. There's times when we're just very inconsistent, and I think that's the story of the game. Myron, I agree. That exactly what happened. You ran out of juice. You didn't have the same energy in the second half, and it was clear from the very first snap that it was not the same rice that we had seen in the first and second quarter. And it kind of, unfortunately, is a story of the Bloom Green era, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he wants to be physical. He wants his teams really, well, he calls it an intellectual brutality, right? But he wants them pushing other teams around. They're smart guys, right? Like, they're not going to be the most athletic. They're not going to be the strongest, but... If they can push some teams around by getting leverage, by doing what's necessary, yeah, you can get into some wins. And that's kind of what it's been like with Bloomgroom, right? Mm -hmm. Like, sometimes you find that surprise win. That surprise win has never been with UTSA, though. Though I will say that, as we kind of talked about it being physical, we thought that the refs kind of let it get a little bit too physical in that first half. Yeah, I mean, Rice certainly, again, they were trying to play very physical, but... Because UTSA is just bigger, faster, stronger than them, it almost came across in more of a reckless manner. There were, you know, hands of the face mask. There was that vicious face mask penalty oh, yeah. on Robert Henry where, I mean, Robert Henry's, like, head kind of swung around to the side, and it just really looked like it could have been a very dangerous play and that it could have led to an injury for him he's just lucky that he didn't get hurt right which was coming after willie mccoy right, right. so th therein lies the problem again where you're like okay we just lost one guy like are we really gonna lose another guy because you're being that reckless so yeah, yeah. and i think that kind of also sort of played into the inconsistent approach from the offense you know right i i would agree with that and i and i think 
you know, seeing some plays, it was clearly... The refs just didn't seem like they wanted to throw flags. No. It felt more like they just wanted to get out of the dome, right? And I don't understand why. It's not like it was a beautiful night, right? right. It was still kind of raining. So, yeah, what are you getting to? Sure. Um, but even to that, it, it just kind of came down to, I think, what you, we've always talked about, which is a tale of two halves, right? But this time, the 24 unanswered points came in the second half. Yeah, I mean... There have been times in UTSA's history where we've talked about them being a second-half team. And you know, last week I joked about, well, no, apparently we're a first-half team. And yeah. I don't know, maybe they were like, yeah, okay, well, we'll prove you wrong. Clearly. I- I'm going to say clearly they listened and they said, oh, Atos, you think we're a first-half team? <laughs> we're going to show you. We're going to be Hold a second-half team. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get, to, uh, let's get to the defensive review. Keys for the game. First one was force Rice to throw off it in order to pressure quarter- quarterbacks JT Daniels, and uh, Chase Jenkins. Here's the deal. Neither of them played. Yeah, I mean, totally weren't expecting to see AJ Padgett just because Bloomgren had mentioned that he'd been injured, and Chase Jenkins was the one who went in for JT Daniels in the last game, so kind of surprised to see AJ Padgett, although, I mean, I think he played as well as he can. I thought so, too. I mean, he dropped back about 38 times. However, he was sacked six times. He had a quarterback hurry, and... He had to scramble four other times. I felt bad for him um, because really what it really came down to is, especially in the second half, like he took snaps and it just felt like he already had Trey Moore in his face or he had a defensive lineman in his face. There was just moments where this defense just looked like they were just playing with them. Like, we're going to go we're gonna go half speed and we're still going to get to you like that mm-hmm. it, it was um yeah it, it was a lesson um speaking of lessons the other um key here was to finish their tackles and that was the biggest thing was that i saw a lot especially in previous rice games where they've got some big gains or the fact that they kind of wriggled out of tackles mm-hmm. or you know teams try to one-arm them and i i'm going to give credit here to the defense that they were disciplined even though it felt like it was sort of sluggish first half the defense was dominant from the first half to the it was a I thought a pretty complete game by this defense. Yeah, and the other thing is we didn't necessarily see the response from the defense. You know, it, it kind of got a little bit chippy, or Rice was trying to make it chippy, I guess I should say, but you didn't see that response back from the defense, and that's been one of the things that we've kind of critiqued different players on at different times, and nobody really had that kind of response that led to a penalty or any, you know, really negative play for us. That's a great point because I also feel like, you know, this is supposed to be the rivalry game, right? right. And it just doesn't... It felt like... The American rivalry, yeah. It felt like, yeah, Rice was trying to potentially say, yeah, we are your rivals, but it... I don't know. Again, we don't really want to get too much into what would happen last... What we discussed last week, but there just doesn't have that... It would be one-sided, I guess. Yeah, um, I mean... I don't feel it. I don't think you really felt it. No, I think the only one who did was that, um, what was the name, Landon Ransom Gultz, the one who was yeah. you know, talking about how we don't like UTSA in the press conference ahead of time, you know? Absolutely. So, Rice scores on the, their last drive of the first half, which gets it to 10 to 7 in halftime, as you, you spoke about. Ransom Gels got, caught a 20-yard pass, uh, I think it was like the second play or third play of, of that drive, um, and then... <laughs> Paget scrambles, and he 
Ransom Gales flops, I guess, in a way. To me, he flopped, but, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. I mean, I don't know. I guess I would fall down, too, if Brandon Matterson hits me. But um, <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Brandon Matterson's not a small guy. No. Um, he's a very strong guy, too. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, I, I think I would go down. <laughs> well, it was kind of funny, too, that the announcer said, well, maybe Matterson hit him because of his comments at the press conference. Like, <laughs> it was a stretch, but it was fun. Yeah. I thought the announcers were, were having some fun with this uh, with this game, and I thought they did really well. Um, but yeah, Mr. Ransom Gells, you were such a contributor and got past our cornerbacks, who he pointed out he was faster than, so many times that both of his catches came on the last drives of each half, which coincidentally was a bad defensive drive in the first the last drive of the first half for UTSA defense, and then trash time. Right. He scores, he, he catches another touchdown, uh, catches another pass, and it turns out to be a touchdown pass. Yeah, that, that doesn't sound like contributor or making an impact on the game. Yeah. Hence why you lost 34-14. Um, this UTSA defense allowed 229 yards. Coincidentally, they allowed 230 in the rain last year. 150 of these yards, though, as I kind of already mentioned, last two drives of each half, Trash time in the second half, first half, like I said, bad drive. On those two drives, A.J. Padgett was 8 for 10 for 118 yards and two touchdowns. Otherwise, in all the other drives, 9 for 18 for 64 yards. Yeah. Just absolutely good defense by UTSA. Um, Getting to Padgett, I mean, holding them to less than 80 yards on nine drives. uh, And then making stops essentially not allowing Rice to score on 9 out of 11 drives. It's the same story that we've seen with this Rice team in the trailer era. And really, for a while in this rivalry or this matchup with Rice, yeah. it's for a long time, it's just Rice just hasn't found success. I will say, though, you got to knock them a little bit. <laughs> I mean, is it a knock, though? Allow the second and third touchdowns to Rice in the trailer era? Yeah. I mean, that's how nitpicky we are, right? Yeah, I'm sure they hate the fact that they've allowed any touchdowns to Rice, but... Sure. Yeah, the fact that Rice has only scored three touchdowns in three games is pretty impressive. It is. It really is. Good job, Jesslep. Good job. Another good job goes to Trey Moore, right? Yeah, he is now tied with Marcus Davenport for career sacks at 22, and he's got at least three games left. Could be four, but at least three. So, pretty impressive. Um, definitely going to break that. Yeah, I mean, the the offensive lines that, that he's going to be facing, not all of them are great. At yeah. least at least the next one isn't very good. So, sure. um, yeah, could we could see it fall on Friday night. Um, not guaranteed, but another guy that I thought had a great game, Jamal Ligon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had kind of... It's funny because we joked about it, and I, I got to say, they've... Got to be listening to us if you brought up Jamal Lick and said he, he's been kind of quiet this season. Are there any other players that we want to like amp up and have a good game? <laughs> I can just trash him now, you know? <laughs> Maybe the secondary? I don't know because the... Give me a list. Start... <laughs> Come on, Nick Troy. I haven't heard anything from you in the last couple of games. Not since the, what, the FAU game? <laughs> yeah, since you're, since you're interception. So what do you got? Where are you at, Nick Troy? Um, defensive line. Also had uh, just a fantastic game. One moment that was really cool was Ty Leonard 
I thought that he was double teamed. But on rewatch and then seeing Jared's breakdowns that he has every single week, our guy, Ty Leonard, was actually triple teamed. Mm-hmm. And essentially, Trey Moore gets in there. I think it was Trey Moore. He forces a fumble. Someone got in there and forced a fumble. But Ty Leonard took out three guys. That is the future, everybody. And uh, it's just great to see. It's great to see our defensive line just causing havoc. Other than that, I mean, you have some great moments, I think, with Donye, forced fumble, recovered by Ron Triplett, and uh, one other uh, part of the game. And then Nick Booker-Brown. I thought he had the... I thought it was a, a fumble recovery, but... I, you know, everybody eh. did. Even the announcer said they couldn't imagine that they had indisputable evidence to overturn it, but apparently those refs saw something. I do have to say here, we, we usually have some sort of, like kind of notes that we we have to go after here. But can we just talk real quick about the fact that we've been talking a lot about this defense over the last few games. Right. Something that we normally have never done on this podcast. Usually we're I'm quick to go on Frank and like nitpick him or go, hey, he deserves kudos for everything that he's done. But this season just feels different in that we've just really had a lot of gushing things to say about the defense. Yeah, I mean, certainly. And there's, you know, there have been games and moments where obviously we didn't, but, you know, you go back and you look at this game. I mean, again, they held Rice to one touchdown in the first half. They held them scoreless in the third quarter and almost all the way through the fourth quarter until, like, the very last minute. So, you know, honestly, when your offense is taking a while to kind of get moving – that's what you need from that defense is you need them to hold the other team so that they're not scoring and gives your offense a chance to kind of get back in the rhythm, yeah. you know? Which is, you know, which is funny because, you know, listening to JJ and Greg Luca on their post-game recap, Luca said pretty much the same thing. Like, we thought this defense was going to be pretty special. Yeah. And it's... It's really looking like it is. Yeah, we're there kind were... of back to like what we saw from Houston and right. what we saw from Texas State in the you know first couple of games of the season. And it's just it's really cool to see. Um, and you know we find out that Jess Lepp is one of the Broyles Award finalists. Longtime Lepp fan here. I've never said a bad word about him, but uh, yeah, no. I it... think you're gonna start calling him <laughs> potential at some point. So Taiki. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> All right, let's talk about special teams. Okay. Um, that was a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah, okay? yeah. I mean, there were some. To start with the highs, Tate Sandell got his first field goal. That was great for him. You know, it's kind yeah. of an interesting move to see a coach put in a second string kicker, you know, at the end of a game. I, at first, I didn't even realize that it was Tate, you know, just went in, kicked the field goal. But it was a 47 yard field goal, which pretty which, impressive. Interesting is what he missed at Houston. Yeah. But uh, like you said, it's weird to have brought in a kicker. I know everybody says that, but we routinely have two kickers when we travel as well. Tate's always handling kickoffs. Right. Chase Allen's handling the field goal kicking duties. And Trailer has said it's because he doesn't want to wear out his kicker. Mm-hmm. I'll take it for his word, but it, it really was a good moment, especially for you, because you're such yeah. a Tate Sandell fan. Absolutely. you know, and so, And I'm sure it was a huge confidence boost for him as well. You know, it sounded like coach had assumed that Tate was going to win that starting kicker position and then Chase you know just kind of came in really strong at the end and so it's great that he's giving Tate that opportunity to 
build up his confidence again, you know? Yeah, and I, I, the last thing I'll say about Tate is just the fact that I think it's cool to have two kickers, have a veteran there that, that you could potentially go back to, but develop this younger guy who mm-hmm. certainly, yeah, boosts his confidence, but he looks like a guy that could handle both and not even sweat it. Yep. On the punting side, you know, all the punts were within the 20-yard line. We had that kind of trickeration where they had the fake field goal slash pooch punt instead, which was a little interesting. It was cool, but looking back at it, there was an opportunity. It looked like, and maybe, I'm just going to throw this out there. If we had had Tate Sandell out there, maybe Lucas actually throws it to Tate because Chase Allen was breaking free. And if he just kind of rainbows that out there, we catch Rice off guard. But, right. I mean, maybe we save it for later. But it is interesting that we had last year when we played Rice, the pooch punt where like it looked like we were going to go for it on fourth down, and then we had Brady like punt it. Yeah. yeah so, it's, I don't know. Maybe it's Something just about Rice. Rice, you know? <laughs> yeah. But anyways. Woo, here's where the rivalry starts, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. On special teams. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have Chris Carpenter, who, you know, you go from this moment where it's like, okay... Carpenter, you know, kind of muff the pun again. Like, what's going on here? Should we replace him? You know, but that means you're going to have to bring in Josh Cephas because Willie McCoy is injured, and what does that mean? And then it's like he redeems himself in the best way, right? He scores the most explosive play of the game, really, by yeah. scoring this 50-yard touchdown. Absolutely, and, and here's the thing is I thought it was interesting that Trailer said afterwards when he was asked about it, he said, you just tell him to go make up the next play, mm-hmm. to go out there and do that. Okay, it's great coach speak. But don't you think that at some point he said, we're playing Rice, son. Like, yeah, you're, you shouldn't be muffing the ball against Rice. You're going to go out there, you're going to you're gonna catch this ball, and you're going to make a play. Well, like, side <laughs> note, I kind of feel like that was Trailer's halftime speech, right? Like, kids, <laughs> we're, we're, we're playing Rice. Like, what, what is happening here? This is not Tulane. Like, did you guys get the, you know, team colors mixed up? Like, what are we doing? Anyways, Zay Frazier also had um, penalty on the punt return, and then he recovers Carpenter's muff punt. So, you know, again, you've got this kind of, like, back and forth where highs and lows on special teams. Just a little inconsistent, but some great moments. Yeah, and nothing too bad that, that we couldn't overcome. No. Fortunately, right? All right, let's get to the offense. Keys of the game were use run to set up the play action play action game. Well, ran the ball well as usual, even though Kavorian was out, which we'll get into here in a second. But, you know, again, what great depth we have at running back and what an asset to making this offense much more dynamic this mm-hmm. year. Um, on play action, Frank was 7 for 9 for 108 yards. Just efficient, right? Like, that right. that's exactly the Frank that we love. And the fact that Frank really excels in play action we'll talk about a little bit here in a second but just chef's kiss mm-hmm. um challenge the linebackers to cover tight ends was the other key the tight ends were targeted four times and they got two catches for 21 yards all by oscar i'll say this uh you know the the linebackers you know and, and just the rice defense overall just seemed tired in the second half they they were done having to chase either tight ends wide receivers and get hit again by Rocco or um, Robert Henry. The offense put up a total of 381 yards, which was 199 rushing, 182 passing. In my opinion, it should have been more. But Trailer likes Mike Bloomgren, so he didn't want to 
quote-unquote run up the score. Yeah. The problem here, though, is that this is the time when UTSA should be making the case that they're the top G5 team because a New Year's Six bull bid is within reach, honestly. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that they would get that bid, but you still got to be able to to make that case. And, you know, I think part of the problem is because Trailer calls himself a Texas high school football coach and you just don't embarrass people and you don't you don't try to make a case for the postseason because you just you win a postseason berth outright so it's just different here right and even setting aside the the new york's new year's six bowl the fact that we don't know if there's going to need to be a tiebreaker or tiebreakers at the end of the american conference just based on the fact that you know smu they could lose to Memphis. Memphis is a good team. You know, there's there's kind of multiple scenarios that would happen. And one of the things they're going to look at is that ranking at the end of the day. So we need to have these marquee wins. And based on who we're playing right now, you're not going to necessarily have a marquee win. Right. But you can make yourself look better by having significant margins of victory. And if we don't do that then we could be on the losing end of a very heartbreaking tiebreaker. To add to that, we've talked about the fact that people, when they rank in the polls, are just going to see what the score was. And so if they just look at Rice and they say 34 to 14 against Rice, wow, okay, let's be honest. This could have been a more like another again another yeah. 45 to 7 win another 50 to something win but and like we'll i said talk about Tulane and the fact that they have these very small margins of victory right so we need to have a much larger one well said and i think um looking back after last week's game just to bring us back to the rice game frank again had some pedestrian stats here he was 15 for 24 175 yards one touchdown he ran it six times for 31 yards Again, for the second consecutive game, if you're just looking at his stats, you're like, ho-hum, right? It's no big deal. But it's just such a luxury to have, who we'll talk about here in a second, Robert Henry and Rocco Griffin, that we really don't need him to be a really dynamic guy that has to run around and make plays. We just need him to make the right decisions in the RPO game. And really, we just need his on-field leadership and his experience. That's the big thing. Looking back at last season... Frank, in, the, in this game against Rice, went 11 for, 11 for 14 for 103 yards, two touchdown passes, seven carries for 124 yards, three touchdowns. He, as you have said many times before, was essentially running back 1A right. last season and, and seasons before. Now, without that, you see a Frank, honestly, you're seeing him getting much more healthy, and you're seeing that he's not getting those little nicks that he would just kind of... I would say what, like, just pile up by the end of the year. Yeah, and he, and he can still have those explosive runs. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think he had, yeah. like, a 31-yard run in this yes, game. Yes, yes. And part of it was, you know, he looked very quick, he looked very healthy, but we don't have to depend on that. Right. You know, so that when he does it, I think now it's going to take defenses by surprise. They were a little bit more prepared to see that in the past, but he really hasn't been running, so now you can kind of catch him a little off guard. And you notice that they don't really, like a lot of the opposing coaches don't really say that anymore. They're like, they talk about the fact that he can, mm-hmm. but they mostly follow that up with, but I know he's been injured. Right. So 
Yeah, everybody is watching. And great point there because I really feel like, you know, the more we talk about the running back production, you know, you look at Rocco, 12 rushes for 81 yards, one touchdown. Robert Henry, 19 carries for 63 yards and one touchdown. You know, again, just a balanced effort from both yeah. running backs where neither one is really getting worn down. Both are making some big plays. But I have to say, Robert Henry, I think you need to watch out with that dancing. Yeah. Because it feels like you're dancing around. I kind of said it last week. This week, I felt like you noticed it a little more, too. Yeah, I mean, there were certainly times when you could see him, like, trying to kind of change direction back and forth and then getting caught behind the line of scrimmage or, or maybe only getting a yard or two where it was very noticeable where Rocco would make one cut and then kind of run and just seemed like he was a little bit more productive in his runs. Yeah, I would add decisive there, there which I think yeah. with the experience that Rocco has, it makes sense. But I just like seeing him scoot. Like, there's just something to him. Like, yeah. And I think it's just because, you know, we talked about it last week that he was still getting over some injuries, but I just like the way he just gets around. And, yeah, it, it's such a great sight to see the three-headed monster when we have it. But to see Rocco scooting around just as, like, Robert Henry does and, like, Kavorian does, man, it's, it's just so much fun. Yeah. I would be remiss, though finish talking about this offensive side of the ball for UTSA if I don't bring up Ty Key, who yeah. I told you was started out slow, had two great tiptoe catches. Yeah, totally impressive. I mean, at one point it was very frustrating because it just seemed like Ty Key was not on his game, and he didn't have a great game last week. just seemed like, okay, this just isn't his you know, like he, maybe he's in a funk or something's going on. And then those two very impressive catches that the body awareness that he had to make sure that he was in bounds. I mean, it was really, again, one of those moments where you look at Taiki and you're like, that's it. Can yeah. you just do this every single time? Right. You know, because right. that's a frustrating part about him. He is very talented. He has great body awareness, but we just don't see it every single play. And that first catch that he made, you know, obviously gets reviewed, but then they come back and say, no, it's confirmed. When I saw it happen, which was pretty much in front of us, it was tough for me to even judge it because yeah, you really we were kind of blocked. And I didn't see, or neither one of us, I think, saw his foot dragging. It wasn't until you actually see the replay, which was weird that they weren't playing it on the dome. I was like, this means it's going to get overturned. Sure. This sucks. But then you finally see the, see the replay and you're like, Come on, man. That that's that's some nasty stuff. That is some yeah. great, great stuff. And then he does it again later in the drive, and it's just all right, Taiki, we get you. You just want to do some so a little bit of tiptoeing on on the field tonight. So great stuff overall. I think looking at all three sides, like you said, by the second half, it was just all three sides of the triangle coming together, and you see this team just playing so well on defense, special teams, and offense. All right, let's get to our South Florida preview. Coming up here Friday night, spreads up to 20 points. Yeah, it's it's pretty impressive that it's gotten to that point. Like, Vegas is expecting a blowout here. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk real quick about their head coach. First year head coach, Alex Golish. He's a former Tennessee offensive coordinator. Um, but I'd also like to mention that he's a former tight ends coach from Iowa State. Of course you would. Of course you would. Because... If you look at his coaching staff, it is littered with former Matt Campbell assistants yeah. that he worked with at Iowa State and then 
waited until he got this head coaching position to even pluck some of them away. Some of them he did take with him to uh, Tennessee when he was there, but yeah, it's man, it's it's littered with the with the I think some a strong staff, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, I I really think that he's gonna he he and South Florida are gonna be really good in the future because just the way he talked through his press conference uh, was just it it was very trailer like mm-hmm. there was a lot of stuff from early on in trailers uh, career at UTSA where you'd see him get to the mic and you're like wow that's our that's our head coach and he's gonna do some good things I see the same you know with Alex Golish but a little less gimmicky maybe. Yes, because I loved his comment about possibly being bowl eligible if they beat UTSA on Friday. He shrugged it off and said, you got to be juiced to play a national game on Friday versus a team at the top of the conference. Then he followed it up with, is the only game on that everyone playing on Saturday is watching? Because essentially, they're all going to be in bed. They're all going to be just winding down, and they're going to be watching you play. Mm-hmm. Doesn't need to talk about receipts. Doesn't need to talk about any of the fans and how they're bashing his team. Because they're five and five, or you know that something else is going wrong on the team. Nope, it's all about if you're not ready to go out there and just play. Eh, this ain't for you. Right. Love it. Now they have had an inconsistent season. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly been a lot of flashes of potential with this yes. team, and I think you know that's where you can see the future, particularly if Alex Golish can get you know a little bit more depth maybe add some, you know, infuse some additional talent pieces over, you know, from the transfer portal or from his high school recruiting. I mean, you can definitely tell that this team is going to be competitive in the next couple of years. Absolutely. And like, as we all already talked about, they're looking for bowl eligibility. And he's, he even mentioned in his press conference, I'm hoping we get three more games. Yeah. They definitely have the game against UTSA. And then I believe it's a game. Charlotte. Yeah. I mean, you should. Look, you should win the game against Charlotte. We're not going to let you yes. have the UTSA win, but you can get to your sixth win against Biff Poggy and Charlotte for sure. I mean, especially since this is a team, let's remember, who played pretty tough against Alabama at the beginning of the season. Yeah, yeah. So end the season on a high note and just take down Charlotte, whatever you need to do. <laughs> All right, let's talk, uh, first of all, about the offense. Uh, in AAC play, USF puts up 487.5 yards per game, which is second uh, in the conference, and they scored 35.3 points per game, which is fourth, which is right behind UTSA. North Texas had similar stats before mm-hmm. they played UTSA. And then they ran into the UTSA defense, yeah, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, but they do put up the ninth most, the ninth most rushing yards in AAC play, but they're number one in passing yards. Mm-hmm. They live and die by the pass. And that's dangerous when you're going up against a UTSA team that wants you to try to pass because that means they can pin their ears back and Lep is just going to start blitzing from everywhere. Just essentially letting this defensive line dominate you. And there's problems here, um, specifically with their offensive line. Center Mike Lofton. Left guard Andrew Kilfoyle and right tackle Derek Bowman are graded low, and they struggle mightily in run blocking. Actually, the the line as a whole struggles mightily with the run blocking, mm-hmm. which, again, does not pair up well with the UTSA defense that is geared towards stopping the run. Right. Um, and then they've got much better, and I say much better, but, eh, I mean, when you're not very good at something and you get 
a closer to passing grade. I guess you can say that you're much better, but um, they do better in the terms of the pass blocking. Sure. Um, again, these guys put up like essentially play fast, like Tennessee did, uh, but nothing that UTSA hasn't seen this season. I mean, they're averaging 2.79 plays per minute. Tennessee was at 2.84. Caused us problems a couple of times against Tennessee, but overall, just it's not going to be the same athletic ability right. that Tennessee had, right? Right. I mean, you, certainly you're going to see some of the same style of play from Tennessee, but the talent level just isn't on the same level. You know, it's interesting when you look at their roster. Golish did bring in a lot of pieces from the transfer portal, but a lot of these guys that we're going to talk about, with the exception of a handful of them, I mean, they were there last year on a very bad South Florida team. So, you know, to Alex Golish's credit, he has really been able to get the most out of his team, but it's thin. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that's the problem that we've talked about with a lot of these teams that we've played here over this kind of October, November stretch. It's, Mm -hmm. It's just there's a lot of good players out there, but they just don't have the depth behind them in case they need a breather or, right. you know, if they go they down. Injury or something like that, yeah. Let's start out real quick with Byron Brown, which is their quarterback. Uh, Redshirt freshman, 69% completion percentage, 18 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. He has a long pass of 88 yards. I mean, the kid has a cannon for an arm. So, you know, he can certainly pass as dictated by his stats. Um the other interesting thing, though, he's a little like Frank Harris of the past in that he's their second leading rusher, though. 168 carries for 659 yards and nine touchdowns rushing. Like, that's, you know, again, we talked about the fact that they struggle in blocking the run. This kid can run for his life, though, apparently. Yeah, he can. He's, he's quite athletic. And I love the comparison you made with Frank Harris in his earlier because I think that that's exactly what I was thinking too, which is he's looked at as the offense at times, which is a problem because yeah. he can be he can be a roller coaster himself, right? Right. I mean, again, he's a redshirt freshman, so once you get to the point where he kind of matures and makes some better decisions, I think he's going to be a really dangerous piece of this offense in the future. But fortunately, this year he's just not there yet. Yeah, and even though he has a sixty-nine percent completion percentage there are moments where the throws just aren't there but there are other moments like i said roller coaster where it's like wow that is a pretty pass this guy and that's why i say i think to your point once he matures alex golish may have something here in byron brown um let's talk about junior wide receiver sean atkins he was essentially a walk-on he's you know 69 catches 808 yards four touchdowns He's just a pesky wide receiver. He's like this little little dude that just, I think, runs good routes. Yeah, I mean, he's only 5'10", but, you know, he definitely is the wide receiver on the offense. We would be remiss if we don't talk about running back Naquan Wright. They really have just a trio. A quarterback, running back, wide receiver that they count on mm-hmm. for most of their offense. Naquan Wright, senior running back, transfer from Florida. He's got... 145 carries for 690 yards, 4.8 hours, and six touchdowns. He he reminds me at times of, you know, I think one of our running backs. And and it, I say that, and I don't want to point out just one because I feel like he has shades of each one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously a senior, so because of it, you know, he's got some experience. And you can tell when he runs. But unfortunately, 
<laughs> his offensive line, as I said before, doesn't really block well for him, so right. makes it very difficult for him to really put up some yards. Let's go to the defense. Um, it's former UT and FAU defensive coordinator Todd Orlando who leads this group. In AAC play, oof, they give up 498 yards per game, last in the AAC, and they allow 42.2 points per game, last in the AAC again. Um, they give up the seventh most most rushing yards in AAC and the most passing yards. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know. Other than Temple, Alabama Temple, um, they've been getting torched for a while, right? Yeah, I mean, they've had three games where teams have put over 50 points up against them. UAB, FAU, Memphis, and then Western Kentucky put up like 41 points. So... They've had these moments, you know, where, again, where it kind of comes back to their inconsistency. And when we were listening to Alex Goolish talk at the maturity level of the team, you know, and just being able to kind of stack these, you know, good plays against good plays and good days against good days. So, you know, they have talent, but yeah, they, they are just not consistent. Not to use a transitive property, but we handled UAB and FAU mm-hmm. easily. So, um, again, not trying to use it, but just as a comparison, yeah, yeah I mean, it's I been both tough. both of them were 50, they had the same score. I believe it was 56 points that they yeah. each put up against um, South Florida. And this defense has gotten worse since those games. Mm-hmm. I mean, those games obviously didn't help, but it's just consistently started to get worse. Um, key players here are, Cornerback Braxton Clark has a Tariq Woolen kind of shape to him. He's 6'4", 196 pounds. Um, he has an AAC play. He has one interception and three pass breakups. Uh, just a long, lanky dude. Um, graded pretty well. Watched him play. Um, not saying that you can't pass on him, but certainly going to be a guy that's going to be kind of a shutdown or at least going to cause problems for our wide receivers. Um, Jalen Schuler, their senior linebacker, leads the team in total tackles at 68. And Daquan Evans, senior defensive back, leads the team in sacks and to- solo tackles with 35. Leads the team in sacks with three. It's, it's an interesting... Right, you pointed it out. Right? Yeah. You pointed it out to me, and I was like, I I guess they blitz him a lot. I don't know. But that would just be something that, you know, to watch out for as well. But before we finish here with the defense, I, I got to I gotta tell you... It's just weird that this team just doesn't... They have players. Right. But this defense just doesn't seem to play well as a unit. Yeah. They, there's something that's clearly missing. And again, I don't know if it's coaching, if it's leadership, if it's depth, or just a combination of all of it. But, you know, certainly something that I'm sure they're going to be looking at in the offseason to figure out what they need to do differently to be truly competitive. I mean, they still, like... This could be the most successful year that South Florida has had in a very long time if they make it to a bowl game. But there's a lot of things that they, they need to fix you know, to really be one of the top contenders. Yeah, absolutely. Um, special teams, again, kind of inconsistent. You know, their kicker has a 61% field goal percentage. His long's only a 45, though. He's missed two field goals in the 30s, three in the 40s. So just... You know, a little inconsistent there. Their punting is good. Um, they have an Australian punter, just like we do. It feels like everybody does now, right? It's kind of yeah. like a cool thing to do. 
his punting is just slightly better than Lucas's in terms of the overall conference standing. So, you know, certainly when they do punt, it can be, um, he can be a weapon. Sure. But again, you know, overall their special teams has just kind of been somewhat inconsistent. Let's get to the keys to victory then here. Um, on offense for UTSA, grind their defense down with the run. I, I really think that even though that they've given up, you know, haven't given up as many rushing yards, this is a UTSA offense that right now is just grinding some teams down and just not really thinking to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, though I would like to see Justin Burke kind of come up with some different passing um, plays just to see if we can get some guys open um, and really start pressure, really pressuring some of these other defenses as we get um, to the end of the season. On defense, get pressure on quarterback Byron Brown. It sounds easy. It sounds, you know, like I talked about before, this offensive line isn't very good, but they are better at pass blocking. So it it's going to be interesting to see how Lep looks at getting pressure on Byron Brown. Obviously, he's not just going to go and look at, you know, the right tackle and, mm-hmm. you know, try to go after him, but he is going to try to figure out how to mix some looks at. And I, I would hope so because I think it's going to be it's going to be what's going to be key to this game uh, to make sure that you don't let Byron Brown uh, get comfortable. So with that, let's get to our predictions for the game. I'll go first. All right, look, this is the last time we officially get to see Frank Harris, Rashad Wisdom, and so many other seniors play in the Dome wearing UTSA Roadrunner jerseys. Now, I'm proud of what these guys have accomplished. They've obviously gotten a lot of criticisms from me at times. But, you know, to look back at their careers and say that they have won two conference titles and really just the accolades that they have just put together, it's just it's crazy to, to look back and say that we're not going to miss them or that uh, we're going to take any of this for granted. Trailer has stated that he's trying to make sure this team's keeps their focus on the task at hand, which is a pesky South Florida team. Um, it's difficult for me not to smile at Alex Golish because, you know, as we've kind of talked about, I think he's going to find success in South Florida. I just don't believe that he and Byron Brown are going to have success Friday night because mm-hmm. I just can't see Frank leaving the Dome with a loss. Give me UTSA 45-27 to 27 over South Florida. Yeah, once again, I see this as a potential trap game. You know, it's senior night. There's lots of emotions going on. This is a team that, like you said, it's been inconsistent. They have these flashes of brilliance. They certainly can be competitive. But we absolutely should win this game. Vegas thinks that this is going to be a blowout. And they have a good reason for that. We're the veteran group. We're more talented. We've been on a roll in conference play lately. And like you mentioned, I think that Frank and the seniors are really going to want to go out with a win. I'm afraid they might let USF hang around a little bit longer than they should, but I just can't imagine that they're not going to win this game. So give me UTSA 35 to 21. Before we go, I guess we should talk about the elephant in the room. Jeff Trailer has been mentioned as a potential candidate for the Texas A&M job. Kind of like Tyke's potential. Yeah, a little bit. <clears throat> you know, depending on who you talk to, he's either a serious candidate or just a name being thrown out there. It was interesting, if you haven't listened to 
the uh, recap that Greg Luca and JJ Perez did on Inside Runner Sports YouTube channel um, after the last game. I think you should go and listen to the last couple of minutes because Greg Luca gave his thoughts on whether or not Jeff Trailer was really a serious candidate for the Texas A&M job. And I agree with what Greg Luca said. I think that's probably, though, the most candid I've ever actually heard Greg Luca speak about Jeff Trailer. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it was essentially every single criticism that we've had about Jeff Trailer as he's gone up to the mic. And usually, you know, obviously he's good. You know, he, he knows how to handle the room. But when he's made his offhand remarks, like there's got to be a better way of making a living. You know, I'm just a Texas high school football coach. District uh, versus yeah, non-district games. Those things. The reason that we pointed those things out was because those are the things that everybody's going to see. And he would always kind of throw it off as like, well, you say something and the media kind of runs with it. No, you don't have like some sort of major media person there, but you did say these things and you yeah. shouldn't have. Like there was no reason for you to say those things and we hammered him for it. These bigger schools are going to hammer him for it now. And I say that not because they're going to just outright criticize him, but they're going to think twice about having to explain, you know, a few things about a guy, you know, a guy that hasn't been able to beat Houston twice, a guy that hasn't been able to win a bowl game while at UTSA. And then just the way he's, he's been with the media here, you know, he gets a little terse at times. You've talked about the fact that he yeah. gets a little kind of testy at times when kind of challenged about stuff. Yeah. And, and the way that Greg Luca asked questions of him is going to be very different than the way that the media at these big schools like a Texas A&M, UT, those programs, their media is not going to be as friendly or as generous with him. Absolutely. Though, again, there are arguments that are going to seem small to some schools that when you look at these programs that really see themselves as, you know, those blue chip premier programs, they're going to judge Jeff Trailer much harshly, you know, against their criteria or much more harshly against their criteria. And so, look, I, I'm not worried about him leaving for Texas A&M. That's just my personal stance. Could he maybe be the, the selection? I mean, he might be. Um, and if he is, good for him. Um, I just see it as being very unlikely. I think Texas A&M and their boosters paid a ridiculous, historic amount of money to get rid of Jimbo Fisher and I think they're going to want somebody that they think is going to be able to get them a national championship right away. And that's unlikely to be Jeff Trailer just based on the pedigree that he has right now or the, the resume that he has right now. Yeah, I mean, um, you talked about the media and how they would, you know, would handle Jeff Trailer. I mean, making a comment like there's got to be a better way of making a living, like they will hammer him for it. And then he's going to regret even uttering those words. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at, I think, serious candidates, I know that this name will probably come up, but I think Dabo Sweeney has got to be one of the guys that they're going to consider because A&M really believes that they are Alabama junior. Yeah. They haven't won a national title since, was it 1939? 1939, yeah. So, as a, as a guy that was a former Aggie, <laughs> I can tell you that... There's a lot of pride in the football team, and they're not gonna—they're not just gonna want a guy that's been a G5 coach. They're gonna want somebody established. That's why they got rid of 
Kevin Sumlin, and they went to Jimbo Fisher. And at this point, they're going to go big name. They're yeah. not. They're looking to compete with Alabama and Georgia right away, just as you said. So, I I don't think it's that's the way either. But I will say that some of these smaller schools, a Baylor, an Arkansas. Arkansas, Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. There's just so many other teams that could come open. I think it would be interesting to see how Jeff Trailer does. And to echo your words, I'm not concerned really if he leaves. I mean, the thing is, is that this is not a destination job. This is a job where good coaches are going to come, have success, and then they're going to go off to bigger jobs. And we're going to, I think we should always just wish him well and go, thank yeah. you. Thank you for contributions to UTSA football. Yeah, I do think that there are some jobs that might open this year or next year that certainly are going to give strong consideration to Jeff Trailer, and he's probably going to give very strong consideration right. back. And he might leave, and if he does, again, great. You know, good for him and good for UTSA that we have a coach that somebody wants to poach. Right. You know, I, I mean, I know that that <laughs> sounds, you know, odd to say, but that is the mark of where we're at as a program when we're not just getting the coach that's going to get fired at the end of their contract. Like we should celebrate the fact that somebody wants to steal our coach that we're looking at. We're being looked at as a program that has had that level of success, you know, and hopefully if he does move on, he does great things. And the person who replaces him can take that foundation that he's established and can move the program forward. So but, you know, you can't waste too much time speculating over it because if it happens, it happens, you know. And if there are some people in the meantime who want to donate more money to support the program because they want to keep them here, then that can only mean great things for the long-term financial success of, of UTSA athletics in general. Absolutely. All right, well, let's talk about some of the other things that happened in the American Conference okay. um, this past week. SMU beat North Texas 45-21 to for a moment. There looked like a brief moment in time where maybe North Texas was going to come back and, and do us a solid and have a very competitive game against SMU and potentially pull off you know, that, that victory, but then they realized that they were North Texas and SMU <laughs> took control of the game. Wow. Normally I'm the one that says stuff like that. Um, you know, we kind of alluded to this earlier, though, like Tulane just survived another close game. They only beat Tulsa, Tulsa, by two points. It was 24 to 21, or sorry, 24 to 22. Um, it's interesting because Tulane has just continued to have these very, very close games. And, you know, people are questioning whether or not they should be ranked. Well, here's the thing. If you watch the Tulane game, and we actually did, here's what they're kind of facing right now. They've essentially lost <laughs> the right side of their line. Mm -hmm. um, I think another offensive lineman went down after they had kind of moved guys around. They lost their top two wide receivers during the game. Uh, I think it was by the early in the second quarter they had lost both, both of their top two wide receivers. They're limping towards the finish line. Mm -hmm. Not something I would have thought that... You know, I would ever say about Tulane. However, I think they're going to be vulnerable. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, obviously nothing that we can control. When their guys come back, they come back. 
I would certainly love to play a two-lane team that was completely healthy so that if we win in New Orleans, it's more of a marquee win. Um, but certainly things are lining up well for UTSA to continue to take advantage as long as they continue to win. Yeah, Memphis um, had to go to overtime to beat Charlotte, 44-38. to I was really hoping that Memphis was going to have a better showing because, again, they're playing SMU and... You know, a lot of our hopes kind of rest on, okay, maybe Memphis can pull an upset and beat SMU, but Memphis has been hot and cold this season. And possibly what we had thought was going to be, like, or we thinking this game is, is a trap game, right? Yeah. So that could have been the, their trap game where they're looking ahead, like as you said, to SMU, and they're thinking, all right, let's just take care of Biff here and his craziness, and, you know, we'll we'll make it through. Um, they were taken to overtime, so um, clearly you just can't can't go uh, half-hearted out there. So, yeah, it, it's, again, something that needs to be pointed out to UTSA and say, look, yeah, trailer says it a lot, but you, you take somebody for granted, this can happen. Yeah, UAB, perfect example. You know, they had a great win last week, and then they just got clobbered by Navy 31-6. to um, and East Carolina pulled off the upset and beat FAU 22-7. to So good for East Carolina. Yeah, I mean, look, um, FAU also is limping to the, to the end. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just interesting to see some of these teams with some good head coaches that are just struggling to get to the finish line. And here is a UTSA team that is beginning to surge. So right. um, it's going to get exciting um, as long as we take care of business. I think we'll be fine in terms of getting to the championship game because that's what I predicted, by the way, at the beginning of the season. It is. So um, I'm crossing my fingers. But, uh, yeah, let's see what happens. All right, in volleyball action this past week, they had a rough weekend for the ladies. Um, they dropped both of their games to Wichita State. But, you know, it should be noted Wichita State is ranked second in conference right now. So, you know, pretty tough competition yeah, I will say, though, that they lost middle hitter Miranda Putnicki uh, to injury during the first game. I had challenged our depth, obviously, and it just put it in, put UGC in a position where, you know, if they thought they could upset Michi- Wichita State, excuse me, um, that just wasn't going to happen, at least not with Putnicki out. I mean, you know, anything's possible, of course, but it just made things much more difficult to pull off. Yeah, their next game is going to be against UAB, um, which is coincidentally the last in the conference. So hopefully they'll be able to bounce back and have a pretty good victory against them on Friday. They're playing in Birmingham at 7 p.m. UTSA currently is in eighth place in the conference, so kind of in the middle of the pack. Um, Eight and nine, 15 and 13 overall. Um, That game against UAB um, is on ESPN Plus, if you're able to, to catch some of it before the football game. Cool. In UTSA basketball action, men have just lost two heartbreakers. They lost to Lamar in a dogfight, um, 82 to 90. And then the game before that was against um, the University of Minnesota. They lost 76 to 102. You know, they really did have some good moments in that game against University of Minnesota. They did score, or they were shooting 50% at one point in time, but they just didn't have enough to really be competitive. Yeah, this this team just, I think, lacks a lot of overall talent. And because of it, you're just going to see moments like this. And, you know, the players can see it as a knock at, 
at them. But the thing is, it's just you see what's happening on the court and we're just where we're at, all right? I mean, yeah. that's really what it comes down to. I mean, there's pieces, there's talent, but one of the things that's been frustrating about these last couple of, of teams is that we haven't been successful at putting the right pieces together to build that cohesive yeah. team. You know, yeah. I mean, like you said, again, it's not a knock against any of the individual players. There's talent on the team. There's just not the right pieces together to really put together that that successful program. Absolutely. And I think it's going to be challenging for them as they go through the season. But, you know, these guys are playing hard. You see the effort. You see the intensity from them. So there's going to be those games that are probably pretty exciting. And, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll pull up pull off a couple of upsets, but I think it's going to be a challenging season for them as they get into conference play in particular. Um, next up for them is Texas State. Um, they play Friday, November 18th at 7.15 p.m. Texas State's been one of those programs where, for whatever reason, Henson seemed to, to play well against them. So, you know, I think that that's one of them where we may see a rebound. Henson just looking at Texas State going... There's my rival. I got you. I got you, yeah. (laughs) And then they play uh, Houston Christian Monday, November 20th at 7 p.m. Both of those games are on ESPN+. Plus. So if you have the opportunity to watch them and support them, you know, these guys are definitely going to need all of the fan support that they can get through the season. Um, On the women's side, they won their first victory at home against uh, New Mexico State, 58-55. to that game, again, very close, but, you know, the ladies were able to put it together right at the end. I will say this. I really felt like UTSA should have really put the hammer on New Mexico State. It was clear to me that they were a little more talented than New Mexico State. But, you know, I will say, though, that unlike the men that have questions and they're struggling to find answers to the women already are beginning to find some answers. Idara Udo, freshman post, has just been terrific. You know, I've gushed about her, about her footwork in the paint. Huge block at the end of the game. Right. Uh, and it was a huge clean block. You know, I'm sure New Mexico State fans would try to disagree, but you couldn't you couldn't hide it. I mean, that was just, just great play. But I would be remiss if I wouldn't talk about another freshman on the team, Asia Proctor. Oh, she looks so smooth. Um, there were some moments uh, that that she just absolutely took the ball off a screen and just seemed like she was gliding in the air as she hit a jumper over and over and over again. She just looked good. And um, we sit close to the floor. So on one of the shots she made, she got past, um, she got past one of the New Mexico State defenders. She kind of said boom and then drilled a baseline jumper uh yeah she's um she was feeling it that night and i just hope that she continues to play well in order to continue to help this team on the offensive end because i think they still need some help there without jordan jenkins um but i'm obviously i'm completely bought in on the women Uh, i think they're gonna have as i said many times before they're gonna have a good season um this is a good team and hopefully you support them as well because uh, they certainly could use uh, plenty of fans 
to get that convo rocking. And at the end of the New Mexico State game, I really felt the convo was really loud. Yeah, I mean, and certainly it was. And I was glad that they won that game because there were moments where New Mexico State looked like they were coming back and it was getting a little close. And we sit across from the um, from the opposing team's bench and I had to watch that coach with her stupid jacket that she was wearing. Bedazzled the, one. Yeah, bedazzled <laughs> with New Mexico State on the back of it. I mean... In the style of it, like, she really looked like she had just walked out of, like, Greece. You know, she thought she was a pink lady. It, it was a black jacket, but it was, like, looked like something you would have seen in that movie. And it was like, oh, my God, we have got to beat this team just because this coach and her jacket is annoying and it had, like, a weird heart on the front. Anyways, yeah, it was, it just bugged me. I like um, the spicy Atos. It's just so much fun. <laughs> I wanted to beat that coach in her jacket, not necessarily the team. Um, so the ladies will be going on a road stretch here next. Uh, they will be playing Texas A&M Corpus Christi Wednesday, November 15th at 7 p.m. Then they go to UT Arlington Saturday, November 18th at 2 p.m. And then they're on the road with Texas Tech Monday, November 20th at 7 p.m. All of those games are in ESPN+. Plus. Awesome. All right, well, I think that about wraps it up for us at the Hail Mary podcast. I'm A Toves. Now the Toves. We'll be back next week to recap our big win against South Florida. Birds up.